Welcome to Cohen & Company's Chief Insights Podcast, a thought leadership series designed for C-level executives, board members, and other top decision makers. Hello, I'm Randy Meyerhoff, CEO of Cohen & Company. Welcome to this episode of Chief Insights. Today, we are talking about ownership succession planning, and specifically, what key areas owners should address leading up to, during, and after a transaction. I am fortunate to be here today with Annie McCauley, Senior Vice President of Family Wealth Services at Sequoia Financial Group. Annie joined Sequoia back in 2002 and has had significant experience working with ultra-high net worth individuals, business owners, family offices, and trustees to deliver customized planning solutions. Annie, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Randy. We've been uh, working on these kinds of transactions together for many years. So succession planning holistically is something that ought to happen over a very long period of time. It's really an organizational attitude and almost a culture. Now let's jump all the way forward and let's talk about a sale transaction. So talking to one of your great clients, and they have come to a conclusion or maybe an interim conclusion that they want to go ahead and sell their business. How do you help them think that through? The first thing that I go back to is their financial plan. If a client approaches and says they're thinking of having a business transition, my first question is why? What are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish with a sale of the company? What do you want to accomplish with your family long term? And really, why are you embarking on this transaction? And what kinds of things really matter to you as you're thinking about a sale? So are you trying to optimize uh, the total value received? Are you trying to ensure succession for your employees, for your clients, um, or, or, or trying to ensure that there's a financial infrastructure to help your company grow to achieve its potential over time? So my first perspective is to always start with that financial plan and use that as a guidepost for the decisions that will come. So in the financial plan, we like to help our clients understand with the transaction, are you going to be financially independent or are you going to have more financial resources than you need? In which case you start thinking about what does this money really mean for you? Are you trying to transition it down across multiple generations? Are you now able to accomplish more of the charitable planning that you had intended to do all those years but now have the time and resources to execute on? Um, and, and really, what do you want your life to look like next? What is that next chapter? So through a sale transaction, we use the financial plan to say, of all those variables, we can reduce it. We can give you guidance on what it means for you financially and start to help build a path for what your personal life looks like outside of it. Right, right. And, and, and back to where we started, if you're having this conversation about planning with a client for the first time, you're way behind the eight ball, right? They've got to consider a lot of really difficult issues in a very short period of time. One of the scenarios we love to develop and we're doing financial plans for our clients is to say, with the proceeds as they come in from the transaction, how much are you going to set aside for your long-term financial future? How much will potentially go into creating new businesses, either for you, your children, um, other family members? And how much of it is kind of fun money to play with? Because I've never once met an entrepreneur who said, I just want to start something once and be successful and then walk away. They have so many more things they want to do and try. And I think that defining how much money they can use for that risk in the in the second go-around is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one more thing about financial plans, and we can maybe move off of that. You know, your view of value has to do with what you think your business is worth. I've never met an entrepreneur who thinks their business is worth a little, right? They all think they're worth a lot. And so they get stuck sometimes on some rule of thumb valuation formula. If they're not centered and grounded relative to what do I need to live a wonderful life? 
it creates real problems, and particularly for folks who are maybe in their 70s or even beyond that, where they don't have multiple cycles left to find the right time to sell their business. I've been involved, unfortunately, in situations where someone didn't sell the business because they felt like they weren't being offered enough money, mm-hmm. even though it was more money than they needed to be financially independent. And two, three years later, the business had significant issues and ended up, in some cases, going out of business when they could have actually had a very successful transaction. So the planning process is really important to be selfish and inward in terms of what do I need before you go to the world of valuation. Yeah. I always enjoy being a consultant to my clients throughout that process and reminding them of their why. So let's get into a little bit of the sale process. And there's no right answers to any of these things. There are discussions and things that we can walk our clients through. So first is this whole issue of confidentiality. And that's a really big issue. So you're going to go to market. You've got to decide who inside your organization you're going to let know that you're even considering going to market. And I find that to be very different among different owners. There are some entrepreneurs who for years and years have been telling their people, someday we will find a permanent capital source and it won't be me. And so they're, they're more open, they're more willing to talk about it, they're more prepared for it. There's some owners who feel a strong sense of secrecy, feel like if the world, if my world found out that this business was potentially for sale, my employees would run for the hills, my customers would run for the hills. And so it gets to be a very complex process in terms of deciding how to move forward. I'm sure you've seen some of the same. Certainly. The next issue Uh, which is always an interesting conversation, is who would you like to buy your company? Who is it that would be the right buyer? And in some cases, an owner will say, look, I'm going to trust it's going to be a good organization, but whoever pays me the most, that's the right buyer. There's some folks who talk a lot about the culture of a buyer. Things are important. Are you going to keep my location? Are you going to keep all my people? So there may be a perfect strategic buyer, but the feeling is if I sell to that buyer, they're going to end up shutting down my plant and I don't want to go to the grocery store and be walking down the aisle with employees who lost a job because I sold the business for a bunch of money. So there's a lot of conversations about whether you go to private equity, whether you go to strategic buyer, financial buyer, or sometimes you can even sell to your employees. One of the things I've noticed as well in this market is that I feel like A decade ago, the decision used to be, is it a financial buyer or a strategic buyer? Today, the financial buyers have become strategic buyers. So private equity, again, has so much money on the sidelines, and they are building portfolios of companies that complement and enhance each other. Um, So it really opens your eyes to how you're thinking about those markets. I agree, and the private equity world has gotten to be mature where they, in effect, are strategics. So... Now you're ready to roll. The, the last issue, so you got to think about who you're going to include in the front end of this process. you got to think about what kind of buyer you think makes the most sense for you. And based on how you feel about those things, now you're going to decide, well, how do I do this? How do I go to market? There's a lot of ways to do that. If you believe there's one or two or three really strategic buyers that make the most sense, you could approach them using your advisors. You could approach them directly. There's lots of ways to do that. If you believe that the appropriate buyer may not be in this country or you may not know who they are, you can hire a broker and you can do an offering memorandum known as a book and you can send out a hundred of them and create an auction and try to figure out who has the most interest and you're thinking is you're going to find a buyer that you never would have anticipated, which could be the case today. Those processes are going to be very, very different. 
And generally, and I'm curious to know your thoughts as well, um, I've never seen a business owner who overestimated the intrusiveness of the process. It takes a long time. It's grueling. Um, they think it can happen in you know 60 days or 90 days, and it's just not the case. And the only way to even try to avoid that or to mitigate that is through careful planning. Absolutely, Randy. And there's rarely free time available in the world of a business owner or entrepreneur. And there are rarely any business owners or entrepreneurs who go out looking for a second job. Uh, but essentially, the sale process is that second job. And that's something I always counsel my clients on, is that for the better part of a year, the majority of any free time you would have otherwise had is allocated toward this deal. And that's why I think we can be so valuable in the planning process for our clients is there's so many things that you're thinking about is this major life transaction. You're selling a business that is not only your financial security, it's also your identity in a lot of ways. And so through the planning process, if we understand what's important to you, what's important to your family, what are your goals, what do you hope to accomplish, we can then break down a series of personal financial decisions into three different phases for the different parts of when you have to think about them. So I really try to prioritize for our clients, what are those decisions that you absolutely have to make prior to or concurrent with the sale? There are certain decisions about company structure, about gifting to family members, about charitable giving, about tax structure and planning that really do demand your attention during this really critical time. Other decisions you can defer until calendar year end after the sale closes. And further, there are decisions that can maybe wait for two or three years. Decisions about paying off mortgages, restructuring life insurance, um, longer term planning or wealth transfer or education for your children. Those things don't have to be decided right now. So let's give you the gift of a little bit of extra time and focus on this most important transaction. You mentioned that the process of actually selling can be like a full-time job. And one of the mistakes to avoid, and I've seen it so many times, is owners, management teams, they start making or maybe stop making really, really important business decisions, contemplating a sale. Mm-hmm. The classic example is always uh, a retail business selling in the fall, and they decide to pull back on marketing because they're going to sell the business anyways. A sale doesn't happen. They didn't market properly. They have an awful year. So that's an easy example. But you've got to continue to run the business in the right way, making tough decisions, believing that at the very end of the day, a transaction won't happen. And too many people play catch up because they start thinking a little bit differently in that process. I'm sure you've seen the same. Yeah. And remembering that the business sale itself is not the end goal. Um, In most scenarios, some portion of that sale price is going to be rolled over in the form of rollover equity, which is a good idea for a couple of reasons. Number one, it allows you to defer the taxation of the sale, um, of a portion of the sale proceeds. But number two, it allows you to remain and have some skin in the game. Most buyers want to know that your vision for the future will play out. And so they hold your feet to the fire in that by asking that you have some degree of rollover equity. I've seen anywhere from 0% up to 40% rollover equity in a transaction. So you need to continue to make long-term decisions in your business um, for the betterment of the employees, the company, and for everybody to feel like the transaction was a success. Yeah, I uh, agree completely. And, 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 And there's a lot that they can do to be remarkably helpful to the buyer, but focusing on whatever escrow is left behind or any kind of earnout gives them the right amount of time and the right amount of focus. 
So Randy, once our once the client's decided it's time to sell the business, they've gone through the planning process, they've engaged a banker or a broker or the right advisory team to help them with the transition, what are the kinds of things they can expect as they really get into the weeds? Your decision to sell and the price you're going to sell for is really the start because there's a lot of other things you got to think about, including um, allocation of purchase price. It's so important to figure out how to do that in the most efficient way possible. How much of the purchase price relates to a non-competition agreement or an employment agreement? How much of the purchase price can qualify for capital gains? Um, so those things are super important. I will tell you that the employment agreement part of this is always uh, complicated because it's an interesting kind of um, a chicken and the egg. So the, the owner, again, doesn't want to stay too long, but they also don't want to be asked to leave one minute earlier than they're ready. So you get into all kinds of negotiations on um, termination clauses. Um, what does it mean for cause? Are you sure you're going to work hard? There's a lot of things that go into an employment agreement that get to be very complicated. The non-competition is a big part of that. So if I'm a buyer, I'd like to make sure that the entrepreneur who probably was creator of the business and who has a lot of value in the business, I want to make sure they're on the sidelines for a long time. right? A business owner, particularly if they're a little bit younger, they want to get back in the game as soon as they get back in the game. So there's great argument about non-competition agreements and how long they last and what they cover and all those kinds of things. So those are important and lots of detail to get into there. And then one of the things that's the most complicated is representations and warranties. And they are super important to a buyer and they're equally uh, frustrating to a seller. So you're getting into things um, like representing to the buyer that um, you are not aware of any major customers who plan on reducing the amount of business they're doing with you. Seems kind of simple, right? And then you have big arguments about the standard for that. So is the standard that no one's told me that? Is the standard that um, you weren't aware of it? Or maybe the standard is that you shouldn't have been aware of it? Or you go all the way to you're representing that on behalf of your entire organization. And so a frustrated owner says, well, wait a minute, how do I know what someone's told my employees? So you get into a lot of things there. And the reason I mention all that, one, because it's an important part of the process, and two, because there's something called representation and warranty insurance now that is prevalent in almost every deal to avoid some of those things. So it's um, uh, it's the end of the process. You think you have a deal, and it's the time that everyone gets fatigued because it's the time the lawyers are really firing things up, right, because you're trying to get to a purchase agreement, and all those legal documents get to be very complicated. So you got to hold on tight, and it's maybe the most important thing there is you got to make sure that you've got the right representation so you as an owner can stay on the sidelines and let your professionals negotiate those things for you. So You've, you've decided to sell, you got the price you wanted, you've gone through the process, you've worked through the, the myriad of agreements, and now it's done. It's all through, right? A business owner now comes up for air and says, okay, now what? So your first planning meeting was the one where they said they wanted to sell, and now they're into a planning meeting to say, okay, I sold. What are all the things we ought to be thinking about? So, Randy, I think this is one of the most important and fun years of planning for our clients is right after they've completed a transaction. The time to start thinking about your portfolio and what you do with the proceeds and really who is your investor identity, to me, comes after the sale. So I always advise my clients, 
the most important investment decision you need to make while you're in the thick of it is to understand where those proceeds go on day one. What are money markets yielding? What are short-term fixed income investments uh, yielding? So you know that the money on day one can go somewhere safe, earn something until you're ready to have that conversation. So thereafter, the sale closes. I encourage my clients, take some time. Once you're ready to come and have a conversation about long-term planning goals and what this all means, that's when we can start talking about your investor identity. Um, I always encourage our clients to not jump into investment products that have long-term lockups or a lot of complications right after a sale. There's plenty of time to explore that over over the years. On day one, I, your investments should be something that give you a sense of peace and comfort, something that you understand, and you understand what the purpose is. It's always easy to chase returns, especially for a competitive entrepreneur. Look at this investment over here. It can earn me X percent. Really focus on what are you trying to accomplish with the portfolio and potentially even uh, divide it up into different sleeves. The first sleeve of the portfolio is there for my financial independence. The second sleeve of the portfolio is there to really uh, scratch that competitive itch that I have and try to win. And maybe the third sleeve is there for something new and interesting that I want to try, direct investments in real estate, trying new other entrepreneurial ventures. But each sleeve should have a distinct purpose and a distinct set of guidelines around how you allocate it. And then your investment profile, your investment decisions can evolve over time. What about family education? I know you spend a lot of time with the, uh, the, the family of entrepreneurs thinking about how things will change once there's a transaction. Can most of that be done after the fact? You know, I think financial education for a, your family is always takes p- place at a different pace for every family I engage with. Um, it has to be organic and it has to be genuine. With regard to a sale transaction, I think one of the most important pieces of financial education that you can do, which many people forget about, is talking to your kids, especially if they're in that middle school to college age, talking to them about how to field questions about the sale. Um, A sale is frequently something that is published in the news, that neighbors talk about, friends talk about, and your children can be approached with questions that are either inappropriate or disarming. So how do you teach them to respond to that kind of inquiry? Um, Post-sale, one of the other items that we always counsel our clients on is how to prepare yourself for additional financial requests. Oftentimes, you may have friends or family members ask you for financial assistance, either for uh, covering their daily bills or for starting new business enterprises that they want to pursue. Uh, And similarly, charities that you've significantly supported in the past may reach out for additional contributions. So we'll help our clients devise a charitable planning strategy. And that allows us to provide a buffer in between our clients and the organizations that are requesting funds to make sure that the funds being requested are both in line with our clients' long-term plan, but also in line with what they want to accomplish with those dollars. Yeah, that's great. So having the right team is really, really important. You've got to have the right wealth manager. You've got to have the right accounting and tax people. You've got to have the right law firm. And you can get to a great transaction. So I suppose I would wrap up um, with, with this. Number one is hopefully you've spent a lot of time in your organization building a culture of organizational succession long before you're thinking about an actual transaction. And there's so much that you can do in that way that will make your firm more stable and more valuable to any potential buyer and make it stand stronger in any kind of economic market. So really, really important. And 
Secondly, and you've made it really clear and said some great things about it, is you've got to commit to the estate planning and personal financial planning process. You've got to make sure that it's part of what you do, it's part of who you are. Understanding the what-ifs, understanding financial independence is really, really important. So it's been a terrific conversation. Any last thoughts you'd want to share with our listeners? My last thoughts would be, first and foremost, make sure you understand your why. Why are you engaging in this transaction? Get a great team of professionals to help you throughout the transaction, and then prioritize the decisions that need to be made prior to, concurrent with, or following the sale. This conversation has certainly been fun, and there's lots of other important topics for business owners to consider. And you can find more of those at cohencpa.com slash insights. Ganny, thanks for joining me. And thanks to our listeners. This concludes this episode of Chief Insights. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Chief Insights. Subscribe to this podcast series at cohencpa.com slash podcasts. To gain more insights that may impact you, visit us at cohencpa.com slash impact. Cohen & Company is not rendering legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Information contained in this podcast is considered accurate as of the date of recording. Any action based on information in this podcast should only be taken after a detailed review of the specific facts, circumstances, and current law.